Well, we're really happy to have John with us again today. John, if you'll come on up here, I'd like to pray with you. Father, thank you that we can be in this place today, and thank you that John is willing and able to come share with us, and we just pray that as the word is opened, you would speak to us all in this place today. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. So this begins Jonathan Wiggins' comedy hour. Um, I've got this. I'm going to try to do this this way, and I think my font's off. We talked about it. I'll get it brighter next time, but you'll work it out. But I've got this pointer. Originally, it was for Levi, but see, I can point at him. This guy, when you see me hit him, he's sleeping because I've seen him sleep before, so keep an eye on him. And this also reminds me, um, I know... Levi and I always talk about honeydew lists, and I had a big one yesterday. My wife had it out of town, and they're there with uh, my son ministering to him. So I had this honeydew list. She wanted uh, the handrail back on our down, downstairs basement in case somebody slipped, they could grab it. Well, I had this uh, this wood finder that you're supposed to use on the wall, and I could not. I mean, I put that thing on. I swear they built the wall out of sheetrock or out of plywood everywhere I went. I'd pull it off and start a new spot everywhere I went, and I stuck it in my pocket, and then I realized I was holding it. It was finding a stud no matter what. So I might have problems with this, too. <laughs> You're out of here. So there you go. Welcome to church this morning. Um, if I'll let you calm down. If you had... Um, like a, a tank, kind of like a gas tank, or a, or like a, a, a big cauldron, or a, a cistern, or whatever, and it was full. You you filled it up with all the feelings that you have of being appreciated as a provider. This is for men and women, old and young. Providing for your spouse, for your children, for your friends, for a parent. How many of you this morning, hands go up, would say that tank is to the top and full? Feeling appreciated as a provider. Good. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Honestly, this is where this whole thing began. Um, I'm always thinking about, I don't know that they're called sermons, but I'm always thinking about topics. And a lot of times it's topics that the Lord's working with me on. And I had been kind of chewing on this um, when Dwayne had asked me to speak and I and I, it all came from a song. I'm not a singer, but everything comes from songs. I don't know why. A lot of times I sing a song and I'm just like, what does that even mean? And then I go look something up and then I get a whole topic out of it. But I'd been kind of kind of thinking in, uh, about God the provider before this. And that really parlayed more more than just about God, but about us as men and women as we strive to provide. How do we feel? Do we feel appreciated? Do we not? How do we focus on that? And so at the tail end, we're going to come back to that. Um, but I want you guys to turn in your Bibles with me. I'll give you the place in a minute. I think it's Genesis 22 now that I'm on this one. So when I first started, like, I, there's so many great stories. Like down here, even my numbers are off. That's weird. So Gideon, everybody's heard the story of Gideon, right? So as we, I don't know why I put one, 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 but that seemed like I didn't do that yesterday. So just bear with me. Uh, 
Gideon's story is amazing. And I was like, well, we're going to land. We're going to land on the account of Abraham. And then Elisha has this amazing story where he goes into, and I can't remember, I'm going to say it's Midian or, I, I don't know. He goes into a town, and this town is serving the god of Ma and Baal. I mean, literally, their, their form of worship is to sacrifice children, which kind of rings true in some of the culture today in America, because we think it's okay to go ahead and abort a baby. But anyways, he goes in this evil and wicked place, and... He's supposed to find this gal and God's going to appoint who he's to talk to. And he sees this lady. And she's literally like got nothing. She's on her last meal. She's she's got a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. And then when she cooks this, her and her son are going to eat it. And then they're both going to die. And Elisha comes in and says, hey, well, God wants you to fix that for me instead. And she's obedient and does it. And God steps in and provides in a miraculous way because that oil and that flour never get empty again. And so Elisha is an amazing story. And then we see the story of God's provision for mankind and the story of, of Gideon, which I could go on for quite a while. So we may not get to some of this, um, but the, where we're going to start today, make sure I get the right button, is Genesis 22. And again, my numbers are off because it's not verse 22. I think it's verse 1. So just roll with it. I'll give you a minute. Everybody there? Okay. When I read this, I'm going to read it kind of slow. And I want you to, a lot of times we read verses and we just kind of, you know, we read them. But I read this really slow and I'm going to read it slow with you today. And there's just, there's so much interesting things there that we'll just kind of dive into. There's so much human side to the emotions and to what's involved and to the decisions made and to the responses of obedience. And so I don't want you to miss it. And you're going to miss some of it. I want you to pick up as much as you can. So sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough firewood wood for the burnt offering he set out for the place God had told him about on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance and he said to his servants stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there we will worship and then we will come back to you Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham father Yes, my son, Abraham replied. I'm going to I kid, there's no way I can read it from there. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the the angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay, lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
This is a tough thing to weed through. I mean, there's just so much there. So as humans, when I read this, and I don't know about you guys, but I would assume you read it and there's a lot of questions. Like you're like, how could he respond that way? What kind of obedience is that? Um, and so I just want to I want to go through it with you. I just jotted down kind of some of my thoughts. And, and so the first thing is my feelings when I read this concerning Abraham is kind of awe. I'm and maybe reverence for the, the type of obedience that he had to be obedient to such a request. That he would give all what is most dear to him to be obedient to God. But then the question comes up, you know, in the verse previous or the, the slide previous to this, he tells the servants, you guys stay here. We're going to go. We're going to go do the burnt offering. Then we'll be back. And he never addresses it. He never says anything to him. He's like, we'll be back. How would he explain that to him when he comes back alone? What's he going to say? Are they going to think he's a crazy zealot? If he actually has to sacrifice his son? How would he explain that to his wife when he came home? That's going to be a tough one. Wasn't God going to do something amazing through this boy as he had promised? If we flip just a few chapters previous to this... And we sat down as a family just a a few weeks ago and studied that. And it was God was there with Abraham who had a lack of belief and faith in God um, because he had not received this son we're addressing right now. And God showed up in his place and he said he took him outside of the tent. and He said, look up at the stars. If you could imagine all these tiles, stars, I mean, it's more than that. He said, look up. All those stars will be less than the number of your descendants. And it says in the scriptures that Abraham believed God and God counted his belief as righteousness. And so we, this was just a stone's throw away. And now we've got a kid getting wrapped up on an altar and Abraham's willing to sacrifice him because that's what God asked for. How could he, a father sacrifice his own son, even in obedience? How could he do that? For whatever reason, most of us. And I know a lot of you fathers in here and most of you would that your first response would be, I want to be obedient, but take me. I'll gladly do it. Take me. Spare my child. He didn't. He, the Lord asked this and that's what he offered without any hesitancy. But that's not what the Lord asked. The Lord didn't ask for him to sacrifice something. Second thought, the dreadful walk. So. Have any of you ever had a moment where either you had to address something with someone or maybe you had to confess something or somebody was pushing some limits of some situation and you had to address it and it's like it just stewed on you and you were looking for this perfect prime time to do it. And even as you're walking with them, you're like, and you got this kind of feeling in your gut like, you know, you're sitting down having a cup of coffee and there's and you, sometimes you go home and the wife said, did you tell him? Did you talk to him? It's like, it just didn't seem like the right time. You know what I mean? That feeling. We've all had those instances. Honestly, none of them pop up, but I know I've had them riddled through my life. And so multiply that feeling, that little understanding times a million as Abraham made his way up the mountain with his son, trying to be purposeful trying to be candid to some degree, answering his son's question open-ended, moving the topic a different direction, his heart must have ached. His gut must have been sick. How did he walk 
without physically groaning at the task at hand. Either way, what we see here is a record of obedience. So how did he muster the strength to bind the boy to an altar with the sticks that he had carried up? And how did he have the strength to grasp a knife in his hand and reach overhead while he's looking at him and place all his human human emotions, his struggles, his sorrows aside out of fear for a holy God? At this moment, he didn't really understand what his purpose was. He was just being obedient. And then he's saved by the bell. The angel cries out, Abraham, Abraham. Had he hoped that that would happen? I mean, did he kind of know the game plan? Did he think that's, did he know God so well walking with him that he knew that there would be some other sacrifice? When the angel said, do not harm the boy, did he want to burst out in tears after holding all that in? And how did he not fall to the ground after carrying all that weight and just lay there? And finally, the ram. God provides the ram as a replacement sacrifice. And we see in the first part, it says, your son I don't know if it's on there, but your son, your only son. And then we see the angel come back and say, your son, your only son, towards the end. So we see this kind of parallel, and you see it all the way through the Old Testament, where there's a foreshadowing of what's about to happen for us. Um, But finally, the ram. God provides the ram as a replacement sacrifice so that Isaac would not suffer to die at the hands of his father, releasing Abraham from this terrible burden, a ram that would take his place. The last verse we'll read in just a second, that's part of this. And what I want to do is take a moment um, where this all started was that I can't, I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't, don't worry. But it's Jehovah Jireh. And it's this, this goofy song and it has a funny little but that's where this came from and then I started over the last say three four months I've kind of started digging into the names of Jesus and the names of of God and so we're just going to jump through these um, if I can do this right did we die oh okay and each one of these really honestly has um it has a story behind it. There's a reason he was given this name. Do you guys remember, I don't know how many months ago it was, when we made a monument of our fingernails? Do you guys remember that? And so we talked about like establishing something that you can look at and remember what God has done. And we, that, that whole sermon that we talked about was really about how God is present in everything. And just as a, a quick recap, because I'm always amazed. But fingernails really are just part of your intricate... DNA and what's made and they don't even understand how they grow like if you read the anatomy it's like we don't really know where they can't come from we know we can hypothesize and we'd say what's there but they don't know and so when you look at it I'm constantly reminded when I have to cut these things all the time I'm reminded that God is there so that was our monuments these are monuments and um, Elohim God he is your creator and that's what brought me back to that point for you are fearfully And wonderfully made. Two. I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. But you won't know anyways. Elohim Kayim. The living God. Today you will know that the living God is among you. Amen. Three. Abba. 
He is your father. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. I think that one's beautiful. I think a lot of times we we see God as this judge. And there's he is. And there's some we could. That's another topic because judge isn't always bad. We see God as angry at the Israelites and, you know, deciding that enough is enough. And we see God as, you know, wanting our, our, our exact, you know, behavior and everything to be correct. And otherwise he's disappointing us, but he's our father. And this is a part of his character that makes him desire to walk with you. And that's something we always talk about is how he loves you and wants to walk with you daily. I skipped the numbers. That was a, I meant to do that one. I promise you. Jehovah Shalom. I say this all the time. My daughters pick on me relentlessly because they say, peace be with you. And they're supposed to say, peace also with you. I don't even know. Maybe you screwed up. Is that how you say it? Anyways, Claire, my youngest, she always says it in a weird way. I'm like, that's not how you say it. But they will never say it right. But Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. When Gideon... Saw he was the angel of the Lord. He said, Alas, O Lord, for now I have seen the angel face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. El Elyon, the most high God. He is sovereign. Thank God that God is sovereign. Amen. In this world, I am so grateful that he is sovereign. And when I see things just go in a direction I don't understand or when things are out of my control, they're still in his control. Elkanah, the jealous God, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Elkanah is a jealous God. El Roy. I put a space there so it's not Elroy because that just sounds a little weird. But wasn't that the dog off of the Jetsons, Elroy? It's probably like Elroy or something like that, but I don't. The God who sees. Have you truly seen the one who sees you? That goes back to a degree. There's a lot more meat there that we could uncover, but it goes back to a degree of just the fingernails. I, I walked and saw the buds are already starting to like sit there like they know. And then Kevin, are you still in here? Yeah, you are. I, he was talking with me earlier a couple weeks ago about pulling maple syrup and how the, the, the sap and everything sits down in the earth when it's cold. And then the sun hits the trees and it starts to come up and give life to the rest of the tree. And that's there's a timing there of pulling that sap. I mean, he sees And he sees you because he loves you. Jehovah Roy, God the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then finally, Jehovah Nisi. I love them all, but for some reason this one speaks to me. The Lord our banner. He is my banner. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And I do... I do believe and I feel that we should, and that's the first thing people see, you know. You remember, like, whether it was going off the war or whether it's, if you're a sports person, it's, a, it's the jersey they, they wear or, like, you look at, are they on our team? Are they not on our team? Or, is he on our side? What team do they support? 
that the Lord is our banner. Like they should see that. And by they, everybody, you guys, people at Sutherland's, people at the Mexican, I don't care. The Lord is your banner. Now, let me figure out where I'm at because I'm running off of these two things. So, um, where we're at, where we're landing today is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. So, if, if you're still flipped to uh, Genesis, the final part of that verse, and you'll have to, it's up here, but is um, Genesis 22:14. So, Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I don't want that yet. I'm pretty good with this, aren't I? (laughs) Jehovah Jireh is a powerful name we see given to God. It reflects how God provides for his people in both miraculous and obvious ways and in ways often that aren't seen or acknowledged. I pulled up in my my UTV here just a couple of days ago. It was, I mean, gross cold, but there was just a little bit of sun popping. And I got in and I sat down and there's a bush in front of me and I'm just sitting there for a minute, I think waiting on my dog to jump in the seat. And I look up in the bush and there's a sparrow sitting there. And I mean, he's fat. Part of it, he's fluffed, but I mean, he's like this big. And he does the chicken thing, you know, where he looks down at me like this. And then he looks down at me like that. And I thought it reminded me of the verse, like God providing for a sparrow. And the point is, he will provide for you. On a cold day in the middle of the winter, the sparrow looked like he was living high on the hog. He loves you and will care for you. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I can see that from here. John 14.1 Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in him, also believe in me. So now we've got uh, a call to excuse the troubledness in your heart. But not only that, we've been talking about God. And now we've got Jesus coming into the mix who petitions on your behalf to the Father. So you have two deities that love you and care for you. And then, can you guys see that okay? Let's read this together. John 3.16, ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Any other greater provision? I mean, honestly, let's go back to the to the reading and thought. Um, I mean, we see the angst as we look at the human side of Abraham. And we I think a lot of times we think God doesn't have emotions. You know, we. But we just read the, the the characters of God based on his names. I mean, he's a jealous God, and he, he loves you, and he's Abba Father. And, I mean, he has emotions, too. We think it's, is it bad to get upset? Is it bad to get angry? Is it, there's a time and a place for everything. I mean, God got angry how many times in the Old Testament? And he still gets angry today. And God sacrificed his only son. That's what we saw twice in the reading with Abraham. Um, is it at each time it said not your just your son, it said your only son. And we saw it again when the angel said your only son. And we see it again in John three sixteen. It's not on accident. There's a parallel between an earthly father giving up his son and being willing to sacrifice, but God did that for all of us. 
So God calls on Abraham to be tested. And Abraham is obedient. And this leads us to the source. Um, God provides us with a source. I'm going to take a uh, steer steer a little off here for just a second. Um, I used to go to Cabra Bible College. All of you know that? Called Cabra Bible College. And I drove this old blue Ford. I mean, it was like a 19. It was actually beautiful. I paid like 400 bucks for it. You don't get those fines anymore. Got it out from an old farmer who had it left in his barn. I drove it. I was engaged to my beautiful wife then. And I drove back and forth every weekend to Hutchinson, Kansas, and back up here just to, just to see her. And so this, I don't know how this truck made it back and forth. But it had this engine you could crawl up in and stand beside it and work on it. Like, they just don't make them like that anymore. But I got a job at... Um, Sears Bannister Mall, which is not there anymore. And we had this, um, they allowed me to do the shipping and receiving because they didn't trust anybody else to do it. I don't know if they thought, well, just because he's in Bible school, he's trustworthy, which it wouldn't always be the case, but they let me do it because I guess people were, they'd stick a sticker on a TV and ship it to their house. And so they trust me to do that. So I met this guy, I do not remember his name, but he was, um, he was the janitor there. One of the, I don't know what you call him, but he cleaned up there. And he was, he was about this tall, black guy. He had that kind of soul glow hair that came down. And he had speckled his teeth with gold. I mean, it was, and, and he had enough spaces that when you would talk to him, and he had these, I mean, the most ornate gold black glasses, he'd get real close and you were just dodging the spit as it would come at you, you know. But he was just, I mean, he was, and come to find out he's a reverend of Greater Faith Missionary Baptist Church. And so he invited me to go a couple of times to the church. And I mean, one of my assignments was to find a home church. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. So I pull up in the parking lot, there's old blue Ford, you know, and I, I am the only white guy there. And they, you could see them just looking at this old Ford coming in. And it's not a small church either. And so I pull in and I park and then they watch me coming in the front door. When I, once I got there, they were thrilled to death that I was there. And they, you know, they, they automatically referred to me as Reverend, it took me to the men's Sunday school, set me down in the front row, and everybody's, and they dressed fancy. I mean, to, to a T. So I was way underdressed. And, uh, Reverend Wiggins, will you read the verse for us? And I'm like, okay. I mean, just reading back then. I was young and kind of insecure. So I read, and all I'm doing is focusing on, read this to a T. You know, I get done, he goes, now, now, Reverend Wiggins, what did that mean to you? I didn't, I don't know what I just read. I just tried to read it. So I'm like, ah, something, something came out. And they're like, praise the Lord, that's correct. You know, and I, I was like, thank you, God, I pulled that one out. So we get done. We go into the, the pastor's room and everybody's, you know, it's hot. they got like 10 reverends. Like, I don't know how they have that much staff. It's not that big of a church, but everybody's a reverend there. I don't know if they're just, you're a reverend, you're a reverend. But anyways, so we get to church after laying hands and praying. And the, the, this area right here would have had, it was a big stage and they had a choir loft. And they had, I bet, eight big ornate wooden chairs you sat in. And I had one right there. They took me right up on stage. And so now I'm looking at, like, we've got gown people up here and, and now I'm confirming I'm the only white guy in this whole place. And so I'm sitting right here, and the guy next to me looks just like Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, just like him. I, I think it was him. And then, and then the guy who cleans is standing. There's a point to all this, I swear. The guy who's, who cleans is standing there at the, at the podium, and he's preaching. And, and I'm sitting there listening, and all of a sudden I hear him go, ha, uh. I'm like, what? 
I mean, it's like almost like Tourette syndrome, you know, just a little sound. And I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. And so he preaches a little bit more, and he starts to get this tempo to his preaching. Ha! Uh, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and so he just keeps going pretty soon. The ha-ahs get closer together, and then all of a sudden, everybody stands up. The choir is singing. Sammy Davis is behind him with his hanky, hitting him in the back. Women are falling over, and they're slain in the spirit. There's fans. I'm like... Oh, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And they get all done with this thing, and I survive, and they say, Brother Woods, will you come up and pray for us? I'm like, dear God, oh, yes. I mean, just right up. I couldn't get that. It took me an hour to get the prayer done. The point being is I like the way they they worship. I like the way they, the, the, the feeling. So I listen to a guy named Tony Evans. You ever listen to him? And he does that. He has this kind of groovy kind of flow about his. And so there's a little pepper of Tony Evans in here when we come to the source. Has anybody watched his message on provision, on God as a source? It's beautiful. You should go watch it. But I'm going to talk a little bit about something he talked about, which is we all have resources. All of us, whether it's your gifts and your talents, whether it's. The pile of rock outside your house or the tools that you own or the, the how you cook or how you can sew or how you can. Like those are resources. Your friends have resources. and Sometimes you use your friends resources. But we only have one source and that source is God. We only have one source and that source is God. And so you need to be careful that you don't create an idol out of your resource and forget that the source is there. The source comes first. Now, the source may use resources to accomplish his will. But the source is always the only most important thing. God may ask you to give up resources before he gives you the answer to the prayer that you want. You may have to do something. But ultimately, the point being is that God, the resource or the source, is the most important thing. Don't allow the other things to become an idol. Resource. A source of supply, support, or aid, especially one that can be readily drawn upon when needed. Usually resources, money, any property that can be converted into money, assets, capability, in dealing with a situation or meeting a difficulty. I mean, you guys are so poetic at the last one capability in dealing with a situation or in meeting difficulties meeting needs of others i thought how could god design this any better you know you're you're young people and some of you who are not so young spent a 40-day fast served others met needs provided was that offensive i'm sorry Provided, and I get here and the whole thing, I mean, it was just, you parlayed this. It's been going on. You've been providing for a community and doing God's work. So I was really excited to see that and understand what he was trying to accomplish. So that God is the source. And the thing about God is like, if I have, if I have a five gallon bucket of 16 penny nails and you need a gallon, I'll give you a gallon. And I won't even think twice about it. But if I do that five times, my gallon's empty. My bucket's empty. But God's resources are infinite. They never go away. Not to mention that when he's involved and he's the source, he's pretty intelligent. I mean, he's going to know 
what you don't know and how you think he should answer your prayer is not what he's going to do because he's going to do it better than you could ever imagine. And the other, the other thing is God is always willing and he's always ready. That's why he desires to walk with us so we don't have this hiccup. It's like when people come in my office and they're like, well, how long has this been bothering you? Oh, a year and a half. What have you been doing for a year and a half? When you walk with God and the problem arises, the situation, the concern, he's right there to answer it so it doesn't become a big issue. That's why we walk with him. Why did I put that in there? Oh, God's source in the cereal box. You remember when you were a kid, do you remember cereal box? Like, I don't eat cereal now. That used to be awesome. My parents were in this thing called Fit for Life. It was terrible. No sugar, no weed, only granola. It was like they went to like little tiny hole-in-the-wall places and bought like five pounds of some type of flaxseed granola. It was like, and my friends are all drinking Orange Crush, and I'm like, that would be awesome. But anyways, so every now and then we got a, like a Golden Smacks or like a Lucky Charms. I don't even know how. I think we peddled it from some other country. But if you, if you took the box, you could open it fresh. You just got to know how to do it, and I was a master. If you took this box and you just kind of, and then you pushed it and just shimmied it like this. Out of the top would come a toy. You know what I'm talking about. You guys done the same thing. And you can hold it. You've got to find some way to, and you can get your hand in there. But you don't do it while your folks are watching. You can pull that sucker out. They did not, that you were supposed to eat the cereal and get down to the toy. But so the thing about it is, when God is the source, I don't want to compare him to a cereal box, but whatever, the, the cereal's awesome. But he's going to give you a surprise. There's something there you can't even predict. And so just give it over to him. Focus on him as your source. Uh, Where is your source? Are you drawing your power? Where are you drawing your power from? Your focus, your hope, your strength. Your love, your patience. Is it from the source? Is it from God? I know we want it to be right. We all want to answer. Yeah, God's my source. But I mean, like, consistently. It's like a question that I'll ask me. Well, are you eating pretty healthy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like, if we really knew, if we really knew. So where's your, where, where's your focus? Is it on the source? Uh, and it's not the point of finger, because I'm not perfect. These are these speak to me just like they speak to you. God runs me through this and I'm just running you through what he's running me through. But the, the, the thing is, if he's not, the more consistent you're at it, the more easy things are going to be. Because when a problem comes up and you'll still see problems, you're already walking with him. He's right there to help you, to give you the answer. Are you muscling through, getting it done, or are you relying on? Are you relying on your resources rather than the one who gave them to you, the source? I think we're all a lot of guilty of that because a lot of us have the ability to work hard. We see the problem. We get it done. Sometimes we turn a, a ratchet on the same bolt for seven hours and think, gosh, I should ask for God to help me with this. You know, like just walk with him. Deuteronomy 2.7 two these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. Matthew 6, 31, 33. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? 
Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Psalms 146, 7 through 9. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. So in conclusion, this is only part one of conclusion. Don't get too excited. Place your resources in the correct place. Understand that the source is your God. There is only one source who understands your needs far better than you can even begin to grasp. And the resources are there that he will use to provide for you in a way far more beautiful than you can imagine. And when that happens, praise and glory to Yahweh, the provider who met your needs and provided for you as the source of your life. So now we come all the way back around. This is where this all started. I don't know if I'll represent this correctly, and if I don't, please don't hold it against you, but you'll know where I'm headed with it, and if I leave something out. So this is this application, I mean, this is all solid. Everywhere we just went, focus on God. He's the source. Do something with that this week. Don't, don't let this be a three-point or two-point or whatever sermon Sunday where I say something, you're like, that sounds awesome, and then you come back next week right where you were at today. Like, what a waste of time. Why are we doing this? Right? Like, he's the source. Understand you have resources God gave you, and they're important, they're amazing, it's a blessing to be thankful. But focus on God, the source, and everything will make more sense. Everything will be easier. But this is, this is what I was stewing on. So let me read this, and I, if I leave something out. Um, for you, let's go husbands first. You work tirelessly if they only knew how hard you worked when they aren't looking. What it took to make ends meet. How often you carried a burden without sharing it to keep them from stress and turmoil. If they knew how, how bad your hands hurt at the end of the day and how your knees ached. I sent a text to my dad. I was reading something and it popped up in my head. I'll, I'll make a point with all that in a second. And it said, you know, why a father's hands hurt is because of the struggle to provide for the family. And so you don't think about it. I see him rubbing his hands like this. And he comes and helps me with projects. And he picks up a hand. I mean, his hands are so tight. How could he even hold the hammer? And it dawned on me. It's because we never had much money. I mean, he just dug it out. I mean, dug it out. And now... I enjoy a relationship with him, but the reason his hands are in such terrible shape was because he was providing. How many times have you felt unappreciated for the way you toil to provide for your family? Wives, whether you work outside the home or whether you are a slave to the home, the meals that are prepared, cleaning up after after you make it, watching it be eaten like a flash cell at Denny's line, the kitchen cleanup afterward, the crumbs on the table, the floors are a mess, the laundry that's done, the sinks that are clean, the school that's taught, the sheets that are drawn, the house you've made a home, the fridge that doesn't stock itself, and things don't magically get in there. God forbid you get in trouble for buying groceries that feed the family. And I know they are not getting any cheaper. Here's the deal. We learn from God's character, and there are two traits that we see that are important to mention. First, God doesn't, God does, God does, no matter what, and without applauding when he does. Amen? 
He does because he is God and he provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. Constantly he is providing. And we don't even miss a beat to see it. Yet he does it because he loves you. Does the sparrow thank the Lord for his provisions? Yet they are there. So you, in a desire to be like God, provide because it is right. And because he gives example. You do knowing no matter how you are accepted and received, honored and appreciated, God sees it and he is pleased that you are a provider. When you provide to be obedient to God, how others receive it is on them. You are working for the Lord. Okay? There's a flip side. God loves a sign of appreciation. A couple verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.20 Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, whether it in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You get the point, right? Provide because you can and know it pleases the Lord deeply to see you do it. Take the time often to say thank you to the loved ones in your life that provides things for you. Your husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, young adults, friends, and so on. Refer to God as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Fear him. Be obedient. Walk with him. Love him. And thank him for the provisions you are aware of. And know that he is busy on your behalf providing in a miraculous way that is far beyond what you could ask. So here's a story to close. A story tells that two friends were walking through the desert during some point of the journey. They had an argument. And one friend slapped the other friend in the face. The one who got slapped was hurt, but without saying anything, he wrote in the sand, Today my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept on walking until they found an oasis where they decided to take a bath. The one who had been slapped got stuck in the mire and started to drown, but the friend saved him. After he recovered from the near drowning, he wrote on a stone, Today my best friend saved my life. The friend who slapped and saved his best friend asked him, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you write on a stone. Why? And the other friend replied, When someone hurts us, we should write it down in sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where no wind can ever erase it. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We just want to understand you and know who you are, figure more out more about you, establish points in our lives that we see in the Old Testament where you have done something great and amazing in our life because we chose to walk with you and make you the source and then establish a monument where we can look back and see that was the turning point. May this be a ground zero starting point where we can make a change, be better, follow you better. Have you look at us and say, I am pleased. We're thankful for the example that Abraham gave. May we learn something from it. May everyone in here walk with a deeper understanding of how much you love us and how you provide. And also turn that in their home, to be more more thankful for the provisions that they get, as well as to show that thankfulness, Lord. We just ask that you would walk with us this week, help us honor and serve you in your name. Amen.
I'll get out of your way. Okay. And I think somewhere I read, I think we were looking at this, that Mount Moriah, when it says God will provide on the mountain, is where Jesus was crucified. I think. Is that what it is? I think it was. So that's our gift. That's pretty cool. All right. You may stand, please, and let's turn to number 47. We're going to do verses 1 and 4 of God Will Take Care of You. 